My name is Bayan Rice. I'm a third generation wine grower, and I've been making wine for over two decades here in Santa Barbara wine country. It's more than a job, it's a calling. Join me as I talk to my fellow winemakers in a series that is a candid conversation between winemakers discussing their wines, their craft, and their lives over two glasses of wine. My name is Brian Rice and welcome to Two Glasses In. I'm sitting here with a friend and winemaker extraordinaire, Mr. Blair Fox of Fox Cellars Wines. And I'm privileged to have known you since 2000, really, 1999, 2000. You joined my family to start making wine. I got to get to know you in, in a cellar. Um, For sure. And see your style of winemaking. And I saw you elevate our wines to a whole new level. It was exciting to see I remember that 2002 vintage just being dark as night and so inky and I was blown away by how you extracted all that flavor and color out of the skins. And you came out of UC Davis and now you're one of the top winemakers in Santa Barbara County. I mean, you're one of the most noted and highest accoladed. I think you've been winemaker of the year a couple times and you're working for one of the best known wineries in Santa Barbara, probably around the country, Fest Parker Winery. And you've started your own brand, Blair Cellars. You're raising a family here in Santianez and doing it the, the real way. You're an entrepreneur and making your own way. And it's, yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. And I'm, yeah. I'm honored that I've got to ride along Cheers. with you so far. Yeah. So I just wanted to ask you a few questions, find out where you're at. But, but first, tell us about your past and how you ended up falling in love with wine and going to UC Davis and eventually getting to Santa Barbara. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, frankly, I was born and raised in Santa Barbara and then water polo was, was something that was very important to me at the time. And, and I went to UC Davis or UCSB and played division one water polo there. And the program kind of fell apart. The coach at UC Davis was always super interested in me. So I called him up and saw if there was still a spot on the team for me, which there was, and went up to Davis. And I was pre-med kind of exploratory biology at the time. And so taking all that chemistry, ochem, biochem, genetics, you know, math, calculus, all that crazy stuff. And then I stumbled into my first viticulture class and just fell in love with the grape growing side of it. And from the grape growing side of it, which is viticulture, I figured, you know what, I was kind of one of the guys that raised my hand, who's gonna be a grape grower? Cause I love being outside. I love that whole side of it. But then I thought, you know, I could grow these amazing grapes and hand them off to somebody that doesn't really know what they're doing. So I should probably take all the enology coursework too. And so I was the first year to graduate with a combined degree in both viticulture wow. and enology. And that was back in 99. I uh, helped uh, Fess Parker for the vintage. I was very textbook back then, you know, it was very just like, this is how you're supposed to do things. So it was and how you were taught at Davis. Exactly. And you used all their formulas and protocols. Right, right. yeah. And so after that, I mean, since then, that's, a, that's 20 years ago. It's <laughs> just crazy to say. I know. It's really turned into, you know, a passion and, and a feel, touch, and smell, and just, you know, part of it. You know, you're, we're just immersed in it now. I don't look at a textbook for anything anymore. You know, it's about being in the vineyard and tasting the grapes and being in the winery and smelling, you know, the fermentations and the aromatics and tasting the fermentations and, and just having that complete understanding of the whole process. I always wanted to go back to Santa Barbara County. I never wanted to be anywhere else. I never had that lure to Napa or, or any other place in the world. Although I did go work in Australia before I started with Fess Parker. So that was also an amazing experience. I could easily have stayed in Australia if it wasn't for family and friends, you know, back here. Yeah, coming back home and, and then really taking over the reins at Fest Parker. And 
I've been there now for 16 years, which is crazy. And this whole time, you know, started my own brand with the 2001 vintage when I was here at Sunstone from Harman Syrah Grapes. That's right, your first next door. Yeah. A couple barrels, right? Yeah, just a couple barrels. Yeah. yeah, so it was pretty exciting. And that wine's still hanging in there, you know, 2001. It's interesting. My family was really close friends of uh, the Parkers, and Fast Parker and Marcy were close friends with my parents. Found, we found ourselves here in Santa Barbara mostly because of the Parkers. They mm-hmm. had invited us to come up here and really plant vineyards. We'd been friends for many generations, and... So we thought we would be selling grapes to the Parkers That's at right. some point. Yeah. Um, but then we fell in love with the winemaking and got the bug. And the next thing you know, we're making wine. And, right. and then, uh, so tell me about the Fest Parker Winery. You know, you've been making wine there since 2003. Yeah. So and once I got back from Australia in 2003. Tell me about, you know, the, the differences between your winemaking there versus, say, the winemaking you do for your own wines. I think, I mean, really it's vineyard sourcing and it's just economy, like we were saying, scale. My wines are just tiny, ultra small. I make, I make, they're all hand punch downs. It's usually myself or my kids or my wife helping me with pijage or, or punch downs or whatever needs to happen in the winery in very, very small fermentations, usually one to one and a half ton fermenters. Uh, Fuzz Parker, we're usually utilizing five ton as kind of our smallest for open top fermentation and all the way up to 20 ton, which is still not huge compared no. to large wineries exactly. across, you know, across the country. Yeah, so it's, it's very different. You know, I, I don't cross over anywhere with vineyards as well. So mine is very much more a state or, or I do or I have six different vineyards that I use for Blair Fox cellars that are all Syrah. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the Pinot Noirs that you make at Fest Parker. I know that they're really well known for Pinot Noir and Syrah as well. What we've really done with the Pinot Noir program is there was a great foundation that, that Fest and Eli started back in the kind of mid-90s with Ashley's Vineyard. And then it was sold uh, in 2005 to Foley, who now ha- owns it. And um, we kept a long-term contract with those same grapes. And I've walked more rows in that vineyard probably than any vineyard worker or anybody out there. <laughs> so we got to keep all of, our, all of the blocks that we really loved. And then we continue to have a long-term contract with all that stuff too, mm-hmm. out, out past like 2023 or something like that, mm-hmm. which is fast approaching. I never thought I'd see the end of that contract. So in addition to Fest Parker Winery in your own, I understand you also make Epiphany Winery which I love the name of it. Epiphany is a great name for a winery. Tell me about that. What are the differences between Epiphany and Fest Parker? Yeah, so the Epiphany name actually came from Eli when he was in Australia and he was tasting GSM and he was like, you know, we could do this in Santa Barbara County. And so that was his Epiphany, you know, and, and that's when he actually came up with the name and came up with a brand. And it was something for him to kind of step away out from under you know, the umbrella of Fest Parker and start his own Rhone-based type of uh, winery. And so that's really where it started. And then Eli was making the wines through 2005. And then I kind of started taking over the winemaking at Epiphany in 2005. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's, yeah, it's a very much a Rhone-based program. You know, we have Roussan and Marsan and some Syrah, Grenache, Morvedra, Cunoise, and so. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of like Rhone-based blends. We do single vineyard or single varieties. So it's a, it's a fun winery, but again, and they're, what's fun for me is keeping them all so different, you know, because you have Fest Parker, which is kind of more Pinot Noir Chardonnay, and then with the estate, you know, the estate Rodney Syrah, which is kind of the flagship over there in mm-hmm. Viognier. 
And then you have Epiphany with a lot of more kind of obscure Rhone varieties where we get to kind of play around and have a little more fun. And there's a little tasting room in Los Olivos for those wines as well. And then again, coming back to my wines is, you know, my wines, I have my own vineyard, which is organically grown grapes, farmed entirely by hand. And then I also select, you know, a, a number of different other small Syrah vineyards from across the county. So keeping it all different makes it much more interesting for me. Blair, you're amazing. So you have, you're consulting or making wine, if you will, for three wineries in your own. And you also have multiple tasting rooms, right? And you have your own vineyard. And you have a wife and two children. <laughs> How do you do it all? It's a good question. My wife is super helpful with the Blair Fox Cellars tasting room in Los Olivos and helping manage the employees on that side of it. And also we have a great tasting room manager down in Santa Barbara at Fox Wine Company. You know, that's a whole nother kind of side to, this, <laughs> to the story. But, and uh, yeah, so obviously I have to give a huge shout to Sarah and everything she does. And my kids, you know, we were talking about it earlier. Riley's now going to be 15 and she's a, really a star soccer player and she travels all over the place for soccer, usually mostly down to LA. So we spend a lot so of weekends lot doing mm -hmm. that too. And that's very time consuming. And then Haley, my youngest, she's 12 and trying to figure out exactly what sport she's going to do. Cause she's kind of good at everything and she's just got to figure out. I'm pushing a little bit for water polo now. Hopefully she'll go <laughs> that route. So we'll see. All right, Blair, <laughs> let's open some wine. Sounds good. What do we have here? Here's Ambush. So this is a 2015 Ambush. This is all from our estate in Los Olivos. Mm -hmm. And so it's all the red varieties that we grow. So we have Grenache, we have Syrah, we have Petite Syrah, and a little bit of Zinfandel out there. Oh wow, Zin. Yeah. That's really rare in Santa Barbara, right? Yeah, so not a lot of it. You know, I grew up drinking Ridge and mainly Ridge. And my dad is just a huge Zinfandel fanatic. So mm -hmm. we planted a, a head trained um, six by six spacing. You know, there's irrigation out there because obviously, as you know, we need irrigation right. in, this, in Santa Barbara County, our coastal desert region. And head trained. Why did you decide to do head trained? Because that's just the just classic old California yeah. style. Just yeah. classic old school. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is just around 50% Grenache. And then the rest come in at Syrah, Petite Syrah, Zinfandel. Oh, wow. Zinfandel being the least. So you'd call this like a classic California style red blend, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The ambush, why the ambush? Well, that's Sarah came up with that. So Sarah's my wife, as you well know. And we had this artwork, which uh, Mark, our, our tasting room sales associate, he did the artwork on this for this label. And we just, it's a fox. And we're just trying to figure out what, you know, what that fox was about to do. So I was, I proposed the attack, but that <laughs> came off a little bit too hardcore, I guess, in Sarah's eyes. And so she said ambush. So it's cool. Cause on the back, then we put a, you know, we put a, a description of, of ambush, the definition, and it says a, compl a complex, secretly constructed multi-phase operation planned in great detail and contains the element of total surprise. That sounds like a winery. <laughs> <laughs> At least it does for most wineries. Yeah. Know, there's some big, you know, conglomerate, you know, warehouses where robots make the wine. Right, but but right. in small wineries, yeah. that's what it sounds yeah. like to me is controlled chaos. Right, totally. It smells amazing. Can you describe for people what you're getting? Yes, yeah, so I think you, you know, 
at first you get some of the grenache, you know, like that Bing cherry and that really kind of ripe red fruit. And then, then Syrah kind of comes into play and adds a little bit of black fruit, some plum. Petite Syrah really adds structure and, and you know, kind of length and, and tannin. And then Zinfandel just gives it like a playful, just kind of fruitiness, you know, which Zinfandel kind of mm -hmm. adds. So it's, it's cool. And what I do is I basically cherry pick the, the absolute top barrels from all of the different lots and then sit around and tinker with a blend. And sometimes it'll take me 20 minutes to figure it out. And sometimes it'll take me three days to figure right, it out. Right. And you know how blending goes. So blending is kind of where the, the winemaker really has that opportunity to make something that they feel is unique, I mm -hmm. think. And I think that's what this wine is for, for our estate. What's the residual sugar on this? It's totally dry. Yeah. yeah. It has a perceivable sweetness to it. Yeah. I would imagine the Zin does that. I know Zin it does probably has a little bit of that. Yeah. And so it's, it's totally dry. It's aged in barrel for 22 months, 100% French oak. The Grenache portion is actually from large format punchin. Mm. Um, so all my Grenache I do in large format, and then everything else is in 228 liter barrique. Now explain why you choose punchin. A lot of people don't know, you know, the volume of the punchin barrel and why right. you would choose that over a standard 60 gallon barrel or 59 yeah, so, gallon barrel. Yeah, so a punchin is over double the size, you know, so these are 500 liter punchins, so they're 132 gallons, thick staves. And so the thicker the stave, um, kind of the less, you know, aeration, oxidation things going on with that. So it's actually kind of keeping the wine younger, I would, I would say, you know, less oxidation, mm -hmm. keeping that fruit fresher. But then I do want to keep it in barrel for that 22 months. So tannins have a, ta a, a chance to round out and kind mm -hmm. of, you know, show more finesse, more, more roundness, more, you know, kind of suppleness. How many cases do you make of this ambush? It's about a hundred. Mm -hmm. So very so small. small. People yeah. don't know, you know, when you handcraft a wine that's only a hundred cases, that that's a commitment to capturing, you know, a really unique flavor profile. It's not necessarily something that's going to go broad market and be in right. stores around the country. It's like, no, this is no, this is something that I'm putting my heart and soul into. And, For sure. And you're only selling it, I imagine, in your tasting room. Correct. Yeah. So this is usually like a wine club release wine. So typically all the most of the production goes to wine club and then whatever's left over, you know, we'll we'll put out there into the into the tasting room for for customers. What would you match this with? It's really powerful. Sometimes I feel like really powerful wines can overpower, if you will, the food, but some dishes can stand up to it. Yeah, what would for you sure. pair with I this? think I think most like, you know, game meats obviously, you know, will work well with this. I think, you know, lamb, you know, even things like elk. I think you can definitely put a nice big ribeye in front of this wine for sure and it'll definitely pair very nicely. Man, you're making me hungry. <laughs> Cool, so this is uh, my 2016 Tierra Alta Vineyard Syrah. And I've been working with Tierra Alta since 2004. And this is another kind of favorite in the tasting room, you know. Typically, I think we get like, a, you know, it's got, it's got great like dark fruit characters, mm -hmm. but then it also have like chocolate and pepper. And this is out in Ballard Canyon. Ballard Canyon, you know, is such a great growing region for Syrah, especially. And that's really what they're hanging their hat on out there. Mm -hmm. I make three different Syrahs from three different vineyards in Ballard Canyon. And Blair, people know you for Rhones, right? That's really your true passion, would you say? I mean, would you say Syrah is your kind of noble grape? I would say so. I mean, I, I got out of UC Davis and that was uh, my final wine marketing class. You know, it was, it was that Syrah was going to be the next red grape to take over Cabernet Sauvignon in popularity. Um, 
I'm still waiting for that to happen, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if it ever happens. But I just love Syrah. I think it's it's a great wine. You know, with food, it's a great wine on its own. You know, where it's grown, you you see so many differences. Whether it's cool climate characters like super peppery and and floral, mm-hmm. or then warmer you know climate characteristics where it's more like fruit. You know, big ripe mm-hmm. fruit, jammy fruit. Mm-hmm. So in these, all these areas that I work with, they're all very cool climates. So it's kind of right in between, you know. I, I work with some out of Santa Rita Hills, which is super cool. You know, and again, you get that real floral, you know, peppery side. And then Ballard Canyon, I think it's a good kind of right in the middle where you get the pepper, but you still get, you know, chocolate, and dark fruit, and plum, and things like that. Oh, the spiciness on this raw is incredible. What's the uh, retail price on this? This one's forty-seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which for most people that's really out there. I mean, that's a really high price. But what they don't realize is that it's such a small production that it's really scarce, and you yeah. only have it available in your tasting room. Right. And I think people don't really realize the economies of scale in the wine business. They don't realize when you only make a few hundred cases of something, your cost of making sure. only that amount is really, really high compared right. to doing thousands of cases. And super high quality grapes too, you know, so the grape cost is really how I base my pricing usually. And, and like I said, this vineyard I've been making since 2004 and it's, it just keeps performing well and as it gets older it keeps kind of showing different nuance. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, you know, when you really look at it, I made just under 100 cases of this wine and when you, when you look at that production and you look at the scores that I've, I've received with this wine, I think it, frankly, $47 is probably too low, you know, <laughs> yeah. I should be, really be charging more, but I do want it to be kind of a bargain, you know, I don't want to price it outside of everybody's budget. Would you say that it's true kind of across the board for Santa Barbara County that our prices are more in line with reality? For sure. I think, I mean, I think Syrahs and, you know, our, our high-end red wines from Santa Barbara County that can compete with the best wines in California, you know, they compete with Napa Cab and Napa Syrahs and all these wines that are priced way, you know, triple, quadruple, five times as much as the wines for similar quality. You can get a 96 point wine from one critic that's in Santa Barbara County between 30 and 50 and then you go up to Northern California and Napa, that same kind of caliber of wine is going to be 100 to 200 if not more. Right. I've I've seen it. It's incredible what they can charge up there. It's a different marketplace, but I think there's also a different perception um, that's being sold. Two Glasses In has been brought to you by Visit Santa Barbara. There are seaside escapes, then there's a gentle crescent of California coast connecting breathtaking beaches, soaring mountains, verdant vineyards, elevated enclaves, and eclectic communities. More than beautiful, it's Santa Barbara brilliant. Visit SantaBarbaraCA.com to plan your stay. What does the future look like for Blair Fox and for, you know, your wineries? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy where we are right now. I, we're actually moving our tasting room next door in Los Olivos to to a larger space. So that's that's a big move for us. We've been in the same little space in Los Olivos for nine years, since 2010. And so moving next door, it's kind of, it's a little bit of a next chapter for us with that space. It has much more outdoor area, you know, outdoor seating. And it, I think we're gonna bring kind of some life to that side of the that side of the street, which will be fun. So that's, a you know, and then the funk zone, that's always a fun 
you know, opportunity down there that we have, which has always been kind of evolving. We'll continue to see what happens down there and the evolution of that area in general. And you have deep roots down there. You were born and raised in Santa Barbara right. and went to UCSB. So it's kind of yeah. a natural fit for you to have a tasting room down there. Definitely. I, it's funny because, I mean, I, I'm such a proponent of Santa Barbara County, Santa Barbara County wines and being, you know, having been born and raised in Santa Barbara. So it's, it, it is a, just a natural place for us to go. Well, we're glad we didn't lose you to Napa, Blair. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I'm going to pour some more of this delicious okay. wine. So we're drinking the 2016 Tierra Alta Syrah. And um, I know you make many other different wines with Syrah. What would you say if you had to choose one is your default take home for dinner? I mean, I make from our estate vineyard, I make a Syrah, which is just something super special. You know, I mean, I found this site. Um, uh, we planted it in 2006. You know, I was there for every day of, of everything in terms of, you know, kind of vineyard maintenance and vineyard operation and everything that happens there, vineyard establishment. I chose which, which varieties to plant where, how much compost, how much gypsum, all this stuff that we're adding. Luckily, I lucked out and it makes great wine too. <laughs> I mean, and it's, it's a fun wine. I just, like, like we've been talking about, I'm a Syrah guy. I really started to love Pinot Noir after working for Fess Parker because I hadn't had a lot of Pinot Noir that I'd liked before that and then really understanding that grape has made me a Pinot fan but still I think Syrah is kind of where I hang my hat. Well you may have just stumbled upon Pinot Noir but you've been highly awarded with 90 plus scoring wines with Pinot Noir and you've been considered to be winemaker of the year a few times. So obviously the the variety isn't really factor. I mean you're just an all-around good winemaker. Well thank you. <laughs> I You know it's to me, it's all about experimentation and experience, you know, and, and understanding your vineyard. I mean, more than anything else, I feel like wine is made in the vineyard. I'm just trying not to screw it up. But on the same token, I do try to put a thumbprint on the wines I make. I have specific types of, of programs and, you know, whether it's whole cluster, it's this or it's that, you know, specific yeasts, I'm adding basket pressing, hand punch downs, all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, like sorting, all this stuff adds little tiny bits of quality to that final wine that you see in the bottle. Since you brought up basket press, I have to ask, so many winemakers use just kind of traditional or I guess higher technology such as bladder presses and right. really sophisticated technologies that we could go on for an hour about. Why did you kind of regress back to That's the funny. old basket press that we used to use in the 60s and right. 50s? And it's so funny because, I mean, yeah, when we talk about the early days with, with Sunstone and the early days coming out of Davis with a very kind of theoretically based knowledge, the, you know, bladder presses were the best, right? Really making wine in Australia is where I saw like the use of basket presses. It just gives you a cleaner, you know, less manipulated end product. You know, it's just a gentle squeezing down. The juice has to travel out through the through the skins, you know, through the must. And so what you get is almost a semi like filtered product that isn't being tumbled and isn't being macerated and isn't, you know, just there's not more and more maceration that's happening. So I, I think I'm kind of a modern winemaker with a very old school philosophy when it comes down to it. I like that. It seems like that is so Santa Barbara when you talk about the styles of winemaking that we're seeing. There's a lot of room for experimentation in this county. You know, we're not mired down by expectancy, I don't feel. There's so many new rising stars as well coming up in the county that are experimenting. And I think that that is one of the attractions of our area. 
is we're not making strawberry vanilla and chocolate right you know we're making things that are different and we're doing it in different ways we may make vanilla but we're making it in a very unique way sure so in the case of you know Syrah you probably make a bunch of different styles and I think people want that I think they really want to have a variety they want to have choice and they want to try things that they don't get at their grocery store sure and the place they're gonna get that is in Santa Barbara County so Tell me about Santa Barbara County from your perspective, because you've been around the world. You've been to Australia. You've been to France, Italy, Spain. You've been to, um, you know, obviously Northern California. What do you think is the most unique thing about this region that kind of differentiates it from all the others? You know, I think it's the diversity of this region. I think that's something that's very special. You go out, you know, we also have these transverse mountain ranges, which I know you're you know very well. I mean, I can look outside right now and I can see that breeze that's characteristic of this area, just blowing from west to east, mm -hmm. bringing that cool marine influence right from the Lompoc area through the Santa Rita Hills, now into the San Ynez Valley and cooling it down extremely fast too. When the sun goes down here, 40 to 50 degree swings, diurnal shifts between day and night, you know, so it can be 90 degrees outside during the day on warm days and then it'll it'll scream down to 50 degrees at night, which is super unique to our area, I would yeah, say. Yeah, we see 40 degree swings day and night. Right. Um, we grow Bordeaux and Rhone varietals, and that's perfect for what we, right. we have here. But like you said, there's so much diversity. If you go uh, to Lompoc area, which is Santa Rita Hills, it's like a completely different world. It is. Yeah, and out there, is, it's really Pinot Noir Chardonnay based. I think Syrah, again, can kind of morph into wherever you're going to grow it and, and do its thing. I'm a big fan of Santa Rita, you know, Syrah. I like that cool climate Syrah character. And then, yeah, obviously Pinot Noir out there. It's some of my favorite Pinot Noir in the world, really. You know, I mean, I love Santa Rita Hills as a Pinot Noir growing region. We we also make Syrah and Pinot Noir and Chardonnay from like Biendecito in the Santa Maria Valley, which is also very cool, but not nearly... To me, there's just something about Santa Rita Hills that the really aggressive slopes, terrain, and diatomaceous earth, and all these things that kind of come together that make that such a unique growing area. So we've talked a lot about the wines in the region. We haven't talked about the people. So one of the, my favorite parts about Santa Barbara is the culture, the people. Having been here since 1990 and seeing this region evolve, so there's a huge cast of characters out there and from all walks of life, whether they're engineers and scientists to writers and, and filmmakers. Sure. And they've all kind of jumped into the wine business, especially since the movie Sideways came out. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what your kind of opinion is, or I guess your, your if you'll just kind of add a little light to your experience being in the Santa Barbara wine culture and the people and maybe do a shout out to some of the people you, you've connected with over the years. Yeah, I mean, it is super unique. I mean, I'm super good friends with Joey Tensley and, you know, he introduced me to like Fergie, you know, and we were at Fergie's house, like hanging out with Fergie and Josh when they were married and just had Axel and you're like, okay. And my, my little girls at that time were just ecstatic <laughs> about it, you know. And it's so interesting. I mean, wine really brings people from all walks of life, like you were saying, and I think it unites them. You know, there's, I remember like hanging out with Emilio Estevez when he and Sonia were together and talking about wine in Malibu, you know, and you're just like, wow, this is so unique. And then they ended up moving out here for a short period of time. It's just an interesting, you know, group of people. It really brings people together from everywhere. So we're all close friends with Michael Larner. He's one of the rising star viticulturists in our region. Um, he's an amazing winemaker. Um, you know, his fruits highly sought after, coveted for some. Tell me about how you enjoy working with Michael Larner's fruit. 
Yeah, it's funny. I actually first met Michael when he had planted his vineyard in Ballard Canyon when I was the winemaker here. So that's a long time ago. And then um, I didn't ever work with his fruit until I started making it under my own label. And so I do have a Syrah uh, from the Larner Vineyard. And he's all organically grown grapes as well. And it's planted in basically kind of beach sand over there in kind of the center of Ballard Canyon, you know, right off of Chalk Hill. His, his site is very unique. I think it makes tremendous wines. Wines of elegance, but they still have power. And it's, it's one of those sites, I, I chose the Estrella clone on his property, and that's kind of one of the old go-to Syrah clones, you know, that Gary Eberly brought over from France at some point in history and, and then propagated here in California. And it, it just makes an amazing wine, and it's an amazing property, and it's really fun to work with Michael. He's a great guy, and we're, we're good friends as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's nice being able to work with people that you respect and you're also friends with. And you both went to UC Davis too, right? Different times. Yeah, different but, times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's also traveled a lot as well, you know, and kind of, I didn't know he worked at Google and other places, and mm-hmm. he's obviously kind of another Rhone fanatic like myself. <laughs> Birds of a feather. Yeah, yeah. So Kathy Joseph has a, wine, a, a winery called Fiddlehead, and then of course she has Fiddlesticks. Um, and I understand you work with Fiddlesticks Vineyards as well. Yeah, so I met Kathy when I was at Davis, and we had a seminar where, where I got to actually sit down, listen to winemakers speak for about an hour, and then we, we went outside and drank their wine and barbecued <laughs> for the next three or four hours. So it was great getting to know, getting to know these, these really renowned winemakers at the time. And again, this is back in 99. So Kathy's been doing this a little bit. She's so. a true pioneer. <laughs> That's right. So her, her vineyard is great. It's kind of in the center of, of, uh, of the Santa Rosa corridor. And she's actually right next door to, to Sanford and Benedict as well. She's got all, has all the Dijon clones planted. And so from that vineyard, we purchased a 667, 777, 115, 113, and Pomard clone as well. So for our listeners, tell them what clone means, because a lot of people don't know what clone means. Right. And we don't need to get too much down the rabbit hole. But right. just briefly, what, is, what are the clonal selections about? They're basically vineyard isolates from somewhere else. So the Dijon clones came from vineyards in Dijon, and then they were isolated and given kind of numerical values and then brought over here and then and then cleaned up and checked to, to make sure they didn't have viruses or disease or anything and then propagated here in california and kind of dispersed in california mm-hmm. so and, and that's true with every kind of clone you know so a clone comes from a mother vine which was planted somewhere and then you can just go in really easily at, in the winter and cut canes off and physically plant that cane in the ground and it'll turn into its own vine and, and uh, you know, sprout roots and sprout leaves and, and start growing. Don't tell too many people that we might run out of, <laughs> we might have too many people starting wineries. It's too easy. It's so easy. It's so easy, right? You just take some grapes, you put it in a Ziploc bag, that's you right, smash them up, right. and next thing you know, you've got wine. That's right. Uh, since we're geeking out on clonal selections, why don't we segue into the cellar and talk about one of a topic that I know you love, which is barrels, just so we can educate our viewers a little bit on on that. Why do we go through the pain and suffering of using these, you know, large wooden barrels expensive. that are expensive <laughs> and take up a lot of room and they require forklifts to move around versus just 
putting oak staves in a tank and calling right. it a day. Like, why do we do this? Yeah, there's nothing like maturing wine in oak barrels. Like, you just can't replicate that. Uh, man can't replicate that. I mean, I, I know there's micro ox and there's oak staves and chips and put it in the stainless, but never tastes the same as a true wine that's that's matured in oak. You have this slight oxidation that happens and matures these wines and, and you can constantly taste and see where you want to pull this wine out of barrel and, and then uh, bottle. And I mean, it's one of those things that's been done for centuries and it just hasn't, man cannot replicate. So all of my wines, all of Fess Parker's wines, except for stainless steel, like really bright, Sardines. fresh, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, Rieslings or mm -hmm. Viognier's or whatever. All the red wines are aged, you know, for almost two years in wood, which is which is a long time. I mean, like you're saying, everything, all the maintenance that goes into that, you know, the constant topping of the barrels and stirring in, in white lots, you know, like Chardonnay, you know, stirring the leaves and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, um, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of man hours. People don't realize that it takes a year to grow a crop and then you pick the grapes between August and November and then you ferment those grapes for two weeks, which is the most difficult time in our <laughs> annual calendar. And that usually is completed by December. And at that point, we press off all the juices and they go to barrel and they age for a year or two years, like right. you're saying. Right. And so people don't really realize that it's almost three years for winemakers before they see a return on their right. investment. Yeah. Would you recommend to anybody to get into the wine business? <laughs> You have to truly be passionate for it and about it, or there's no reason to, you know? And there's also that adage, but it's, how do you make a million dollars in the wine business? Start with a billion or something, I don't, <laughs> yeah. you know? And nowadays, I think now it's, it's a billion. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy and it's, it's expensive and it's every path along the way is fairly arduous. It's, uh, it's, it's difficult. And here, here, you know, we've been doing it now for 20 years plus and it's like, I, th I think we have a handle on it, but it still isn't easy. <laughs> yeah, and now you're the textbook that they, you used to read. If you were to go back to UC Davis now, what would you tell the students hmm. and, and advise them as far as the wine industry is concerned? It's interesting because, you know, I graduated with like 25 other people from UC Davis in viticulture and enology, and I'd say there's probably maybe five that are actually still winemakers. And that's a pretty small number to start with. And a lot of them went into sales, a lot of them went into marketing or whatever. They all kind of went different directions. There's just not that, that there, there are not that many jobs out there. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering where everybody's going with those programs now. I don't see a lot of Davis resumes come across my desk anymore. I would say if you're truly passionate about it and you want it, go for it. Start at the bottom and you need to work your way up just like everybody else. Brian was, he offered me a job back in the day, like right out of Davis. Brian Babcock. Brian yeah. Babcock. And it was for eight bucks an hour, you know? And I was like, <laughs> I need to make a little bit more money than that. <laughs> I but he offered to pay you in wine as well, I'm <laughs> sure. Sure, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, but he's actually had amazing people come out of his cellar that have started mm -hmm. their own labels mm -hmm. and moved on. And I mean, he, he's really had, you know, kind of a university of Brian Babcock over there where I think they get well-trained and, and, and accomplished and then they move on and start their own, mm -hmm. their own wineries, which is cool. So it sounds to me like the, the formula that you might recommend to students is to have grit and to focus on their passion and not worry about anything else because if right. they really love it, they will be successful. Right. Right? Yeah, you got to stick it out. Mm -hmm. Right on. Yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you what, Blair, 
this has been a pleasure and I really appreciate you taking the time to come hang out with me and share these two glasses of sure. wine and I'm looking forward to many more. Awesome. So, Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Two Glasses In was created and produced by Rafael A. Ruiz and Brian Rice. This show has been produced in conjunction with Visit Santa Barbara. Co-produced by Jesse Lynn Perkins, Alex Blackmon, and John M. Shalafant. Sound by John M. Shalafant, and music by Peter Seibert. Special thanks goes to Blair Fox, Blair Fox Cellars, Epiphany Cellars, and Fez Parker Winery and Vineyard. Two Glasses In is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review. 2020 Rare Works, LLC.